0: Hello and welcome to episode 99 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual Spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the
1: one and only Shane Beeps. 99 and feeling fine, Stanislav. Calm before the storm, my friend, I think.
0: You've been playing Storm
1: lately? Modern Gift Storm. Didn't we just do that? We did it wasn't very calm is there is there a pioneer storm? Have we done that yet? Yeah, it's called lotus, oh yeah, I'll, I'll just let's just I'll just have a one on one with Caleb
2: mm-hmm, that's all we need, yeah,
0: also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger,
2: you know you know what I just came here to talk about uh raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens and bright something something's wrapped up with string,
1: warm woolen mittens, sure, no. I think warm and mittens is in there, but they're not the things tied up with string. I think that's like a good ribeye from your local butcher. <laughs> it's tied up with string. <laughs> <laughs>
2: local ribeye tied up in string. If you're not tying your meats before you grill them, you're not you don't you're not really getting the most out of it. I like that
0: song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. And I think it can be very haunting.
1: What?
2: It's not a Christmas song. It's kind of a
1: Christmas song. Uh, I mean, no. It's not even winter in the musical, I think, when that's happening. How do you feel about the John Coltrane like jazz cover? I of mean, that? love that. Yeah, definitive I mean, song yeah, of the I era. Mean, yeah, it slaps.
0: Yeah, I think that's the song of summer 2020.
2: The re- the original is the song of winter 1960 or whenever and the uh, Coltrane one's the song of summer 1962.
1: You don't think it's a Christmas song? No. Also, you're I I mean, you don't even celebrate Christmas. Not
0: religiously, no. On this week's episode, we're kicking off with a Slightly different type of breakdown. It's the latest installment of Cool Decks, Inc. And we're going to cover some recent lists that caught our attention from the last week of results. The only preface is that they can be found on MTG Goldfish.
1: (laughs) They exist on Goldfish.
0: Then we embark on the final chapter of our Road to 100. This week's episode is brought to you, the listener, by our patrons who made it possible for us to produce the Dive Down. For really as long as we have, and we seriously wouldn't be here if not for the loyal and generous and downright fantastic Dive Down Nation. They are our favorite patrons, and that's why they inspired the topic of this episode, which is
2: a few of our favorite things. That's why we sang too a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's why we got oh, into yeah. that that's, argument that's, about Christmas cookies. Yeah.
0: In fact, we've been working so hard on episode 100 to make episode 100 extra special. So if you stick around till the wind down at the very end, we're going to share everything that you need to know to join our live taping of episode 100, as well as... At the Chicago Theater. Yes. At the Historic (laughs) Chicago Theater. Chase Bank Auditorium. Historic Chase Bank Auditorium. It's us and Peter Sagal,
2: special guest. Have you ever been to Chase Bank Auditorium? I have. I've been to a taping of... Wait, wait. It is terrible (laughs) it's not very nice (laughs) oh i don't know if i agree it's like a tiny warm room don't put us on blast chase
0: listen we need npr to sponsor this show dave yeah you won't want to miss the wind down we're going to reveal our closely guarded secret for what the topic of our very special episode 100 is going to be so stick around for that but first i promised myself i wouldn't get emotional but i i just can't help it it's housekeeping
1: thanks to uh, Mickey s for their increase in their support it went up a tier you know when a patron goes up a tier it's awesome because one we get to send them some more stuff. Mickey is actually local to me so I can just I can just drive it over to their house. did you hear that if if you are in that area yeah, I got a personal delivery right personal delivery of uh, the tokens. I think Mickey will be getting, um, so yeah, if you want to join Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash the dive down. I feel like a bonus we have not been talking about recently is getting the episodes early. Mm -hmm. If you do $5 or above a week, uh, you will get the episode Tuesday night, uh, more likely Wednesday morning, which is a full two days early. So, uh, that's a nice little bonus, $3 or above a week. You get access to our show notes and we write like 16 pages a week, I think is our average of our Google docs a little bit uh, too much sometimes, but you get access to that a dollar a week gets you access to the, of course, super secret Slack server where things were always happening. We've had, we've got like what multiple FNMs, uh, in a row, right. The past few weeks, and yeah, it's the best place to talk about magic on the internet. The only place I talk about magic on the internet, actually. So if you want to uh, help us out, keep us going, support us. If you like what we're doing, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down.
0: If you'd like to get better at magic and support our show in tandem, you can sign up for Mana traders to rent magic online cards and get a discount on the first three months of your subscription. Sign up for Traders with c- coupon code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word. Get 15% off. We get a little bit of a kickback. Everybody wins. Everybody's happy. Most of all, us, but also you.
2: Equally important. Guys, I just got an email from from corporate, from TDD Corporate. Again? Uh, they said they want us to, to make a tease within a tease within a tease this episode. Oh, man. And uh, some people may have seen it or heard about it, but uh, if you go check out Shane's Twitch channel, which is, uh, the dive down underscore Shane, like twitch.tv slash the dive down underscore Shane. Yeah. Yeah, The dive down all one word underscore Shane. Okay. So if you search for him on Twitch, you will see a VOD of an impromptu stream that Stan and Shane and I did the other night. We'll link to it episode. Yeah, we'll link to it. No, I want you to write down this very long (laughs) URL on an audio (laughs) podcast. Yes, we will link to it. Thank you. There's an impromptu stream of the three of us hopping on Arena with some of our patrons. That's right. Magic the Gatherings Arena and buying some cards to play in Historic. So we've heard from some people. And uh, if you want to go watch that little piece of bonus content, go check it out. It is kind of rough, but fun and and interesting to see us test out our audio uh, signals, our video signals, but also start talking about the fact that we are planning to add Historic to our rotation of topics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So don't be surprised if in the semi near future uh, we dip our toes
2: in the water, see how it feels. So with that being said, you know, Stan has asked people to reach out to us and let us know if they wanted us to cover historic the last couple of weeks. Occasionally, we've mentioned that what I'm asking is if there are topics you would specifically like us to cover within historic. If you have questions about historic, if you want things, if you want to hear a deck dive about a deck that is in historic, shoot us an email and we will take a look at it. Um, we just kind of decided that we want to be a part of arena in some way, shape or form. And this is how we're starting. And Dave, you've been drafting. Don't keep it a secret. I I have been drafting on arena. We won't talk about that on this show. Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll, we'll do that some other time, but.
0: And you know what? You don't have to email us. You can tweet us. You can comment on our weekly Reddit posts. There's other ways to reach us.
2: Yes. So let us know if there are topics you'd like to hear about in historic. Can we put a link to Shane's? switch
0: onto the divedown.com
2: yes i will i can do that under the dot com sure yeah and it's worth mentioning we do have the dive down.com we don't mention it very often but it goes to uh where you can find all of our episodes it goes to our fireside page and you can see all of our back catalog there if you ever just want to browse and not look through it on itunes or wherever so
0: all right all all well and good stuff let's hop over to breakdown cool decks inc and I'll just start because I'm talking right now, and I'm going to keep talking. So what we did, as I mentioned, is we we looked at the last week of MTGO, or really just any MTG content that we can find on Goldfish that jumped out to us as interesting, unusual, thought-provoking. And I want to start with a deck called Black Red Hollow Storm, which I I think may have been piloted at a paper event. I don't know for sure, but it was... Played by someone named Dracara at an event that I've been seeing pop up pretty frequently in the MTG Goldfish tournament data called MTG at Home EU Modern Weekly.
1: Yeah, like, so maybe it was paper, but they use, like, Discord names? Like, I like, I wonder whether, I mean, unless they go by Dracara, but the rest of the names do not seem like given names, we'll say that. Guys, I'm pretty sure
2: this is Drake Carr, by the way. <laughs> it's Drake K a r h. Okay, just cool. Just saying. Also, uh, that's the
0: American pronunciation, Dave.
2: Uh, oh, but, sorry.
0: I don't. Yeah, my bad.
1: Tell us about the deck, Stanislav.
0: So, fans of the old Hollow One decks before Faithless Looting got banned will probably recognize a lot of the cards here. It's got your Flameblade Addups, your Hollow Ones, your Burning Inquiries, Goblin Lores. All of them back for discard shenanigans. The deck also features a place of Street Wraith, which, I, to be honest, I don't remember a Street Wraith was in the old Hollow One decks. I want to say it was. Dave is, Dave is
2: shaking his head. No, I'm nodding my head. Yes. Yes. Davis
0: shaking his head up and down. Yeah. But unlike those previous versions, this latest brew has a couple new tools that I don't think I've seen before, for sure. The big one being three copies of a little
2: card known as Underworld Breach. Is it Breach? It's Breach. <laughs> that's the American pronunciation, Stan. I was looking at this deck list a minute ago while you were talking. And I was like, this kind of looks like not that different. I did not notice that Underworld Breach was the top card by itself on the right hand column just sitting there alone. Yeah, that's a surprise.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important. I'll get into kind of my estimation of this deck. Full disclosure, I haven't played it yet, but... I, I don't know. How hard can it be? So the deck is also running a single copy of Pyretic Ritual, a copy of metamorphos and one Grape Shot, which I think is where it gets that storm nomenclature. And we also have a couple extra graveyard payoffs in the form of Ox of Agonis, coupled with Flame Flamewake Phoenix, which did see play in the old Hollow One decks, too. Phoenix did. Agonis was not printed yet.
2: This also has four Runaway Steamkin randomly as well. So, Stan, I feel like you're going to try to unlock a little analysis here about a few of these cards.
0: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Runaway Steamkin is secretly the secret ingredient that makes this version of this deck work and really even combo off with Underworld Breach with the purpose of generating a ton of mana, recasting a bunch of spells out of your yard, and then either storm off or maybe just get a bunch of Hollow Ones on the board. Deck also has a single Goblin Bushwhacker, which gives your team haste, not only letting your Hollow Ones swing in as quickly as possible... But even your Steamkins, because they do become 4-4s, which is what Hollow Ones are. And then if you have a board full of 4-4s, because you haven't taken any counters off of your Steamkins for mana, that might just close out games in a single turn. And when I was looking at this deck, I kind of think it might have turn 3 kills available in best case scenarios, and then turn 4 kills as kind of like maybe your average case if you have a decent hand. Because all you really need for that turn four is four access to four mana, a steamkin, a breach, and then I think you can just go off and generate a, a ton of mana. And if you don't swing for lethal with your hasty hollow ones off of that goblin, you can then just cast your singleton grape shot to probably go to face and, and finish it off.
2: This deck list is a real roller coaster read, let me tell you. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. This is one of those ones where there's like four one offs and you're like, those That's weird. That looks like an untuned deck. And then you really get into it and you're like, oh, oh, I see very much. Yes.
1: That's like my favorite thing about reading deck lists. Sometimes it's like it's magic. You know, there's so many cards and like you can get like a if you see a name on goldfish, like, okay, well, that's another one of that. And you're like, well, what? What in the universe? Oh, whoa, they're bringing this one back out of the trade binder. And it's like a deck I'll be talking about later for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's what makes magic great is like every once in a while, someone gets a wild hair and wants to shake things up and they do.
0: If you're listening to the show and you happen to have any details about this MTG at home EU modern series, let us know. I'm super curious about it and would be happy to try and infiltrate it. Even though I'm an American, I was born in Europe
1: so do you get a international um residency
0: i yeah it's my birthright citizenship it's my birthright to interfere in european magic events sweet also the time zone i think is in my favor because like if they're playing at seven o'clock in europe that's like two o'clock chicago time i can make that work
1: yeah you're just getting your brain rolling you're just waking up on the weekends
0: right Shane don't shame me for sleeping in all right can can I tell you guys about one more deck absolutely
1: yeah yeah I guess
0: so this one this one is close to home it's piloted by the aforementioned
1: Mickey S in last week's dive down modern FNM Um, he
2: annihilated me with this deck absolute annihilation I would also point out that while I was testing for taxes I also got annihilated by this deck
0: (laughs) oh heck yeah I'm so thrilled to hear this. I've And I've seen a version of this deck pop up in the 50 Leagues too, usually piloted by the same player known as POC. And it's green, black, Infect.
1: I believe that's Golgari.
0: Indeed. So modern players will probably recognize that Infect historically is a Simic deck. So I want to very quickly look at what these Golgari versions are cutting and running and maybe hear what you guys think about some of the cards here. So in traditional Infect, the reason you play blue is Blighted Agent. Unblockable Infect creature for two mana. But you also get Distortion Strike, which makes any target creature unblockable. And then you have some cheap interaction. Spell Pierce is like the flagship in that role. On the other hand, these Golgari decks, they still have Glistener Elf as your one mana Infect threat. But then you have Plague Stinger, a 1-1 Flying Infect for one and a black. So you have an evasive two-drop with Infect again.
2: Yeah, Almost almost as good as Unblockable.
0: (laughs) Almost, yeah. And then you
2: have... Phyrexian
0: Crusader for one black black and that's a 2-2 first strike with in fact it also has pro red and pro white
1: uh you know what deck does not want to see Phyrexian Crusader modern humans (laughs) (laughs) like almost nothing in the deck can block this thing because of the protection
2: Taxis doesn't want to see this Jeskai doesn't want to see this red black prowess red black prowess doesn't really want to see oh you can fatal push it um true. True, true, true the uh the a burn doesn't really want to see this you know what i mean because it's just got protection from everything
0: but even the fatal push you have to put a little bit of work into it because this is three cmc so you could get into a situation where it's it slows you down maybe
1: yeah yeah and you've been and you've been spending your mana killing other things like their Glistener elves and plague stingers so when you stick that phyrexian crusader you can frequently uh ride
2: it to victory with just a few pump spells left you know, we've talked for a couple of times about Uro, Omnath lately, all that kind of stuff. Those are decks that heavily rely on Lightning Bolt and Path to Exile as their interaction pieces. And, you know, this card does not have protection from Uro, for example, but, you know, it doesn't care about the life gain. In fact, doesn't care about the life gain. And also its flagship threat, its biggest threat is resilient to the common removal that, this, that a deck like that runs. So as that deck gets popular, I think there's a space for this deck to kind of sneak in there a little bit.
0: Right. In this version of the deck, it's got all basically all the same pump spells that you'd get in the Simic version, but black also gets them hand disruption. It gets them abrupt decay, and then you have like very typical black X sideboard cards I'm not even going to get into. And I've played against Mickey, piloting this deck as well, and it is very cool. Not just because Crusader dodges a ton of removal, but that first strike just helps it survive every form of combat that like it might get itself into and i love the protection clause on this card i think is why this deck gets to cut spell skites because you just have a creature that can dodge removal without having to put spell skites in your in your deck which sometimes can be kind of a dog when they're the only creature on the board yeah
2: i think so, this is a good one
0: yeah I, in fact players if you haven't seen this one already
2: check it out i mean i know there's a lot of people who loved in fact historically not for sh- not totally sure that this is just the best thing running out there right now. I noticed in the deck list over the weekend that there were a good amount of kind of blue green in fact decks around suddenly as well. But this one has a plan and has a reason for existing, I think right now too. So.
1: Oh yeah. It's quite good. I mean, it's just one of those decks that's it's it's been always kind of a a fringe version of a formerly amazing deck. And every once in a while, I think when you want your hand disruption and you want some removal and you want, you know, when, when protection matters, uh, it can be awesome. Um, let me talk about this deck. It's in the same aforementioned, uh, EU modern weekly. So this is ready to top eight your next modern GP, hopefully coming to us in 2021. This is, Golgari four color flashback, primarily Golgari, and what this is piloted by Dingus Mingus,
2: yeah, probably their given name. Yeah. So this is, you know, what I think this deck should be called. Actually, this is this is what I would think of as lingering Jund.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, well, <laughs> it's what's interesting about it is it's it's like a mashup of Jund decks and Obzon decks from like. 2017 ish
2: 2018 ish probably even earlier you know i went to a modern grand prix in 2013 where i played a bunch of side events and a deck like pretty close john plus lingering souls won that uh modern event it was grand prix chicago 2013 i'm pretty sure it might have been 2012 but yeah it's been around for a minute so
1: yeah i mean obzon was huge uh in like the 2016, kind of like cons era, 2015 sort of cons era. And, you know, it's it's been a thing. So but what this deck is, um, the reason I said it's a mashup of these older decks is because the creature suite and some of the spells are kind of throwbacks that we don't see so much anymore. So we have Dark Confidant, Tarmogoyf, Grim Flare, which I don't even think was ever really, truly awesome, even in Obzon, and I played Obzon for a good bit, and it was always one of those cards you wanted to make work and wanted to have work, but I don't think ever really killed it. So importantly, this deck is also running Lurus of the Dream Den as a companion. That you know prohibits any Uh, permanent with CMC three or higher in the deck. So you're not going to see classic Jund Abzan Planeswalkers like Liliana of the Veil, but you are going to see three Renin six because the card's just high value. I think there's also a lot to do with the emblem here. I think that's always the case in a lot of, you know, any modern deck that's going to run this, but because this deck is trying to fill the graveyard, you know, through the use of, uh Grimflare, which when it attacks or when it does combat damage to a player, you look at the top three cards of your library and then you can put any number of them into your graveyard or st- basically stack your your draws. So you can like sort of sort of sort of scry three like mill three type thing. Uh, and also Grimflare gets has delirium, which makes it into a four four instead of a two two if there are four or more cards in their graveyard. So it's sort of like an incidental value there. Interestingly, this is not a traverse the uvenwald deck, but it does want to have interesting permanents and valuable permanents like Mishra's Bauble and Seal of Fire just for some luris value. And the spell suite is a bit more flashback heavy. In fact, it even is bringing back lingering souls, coming back out of this player's trade binder into the deck box. Smiting Helix as a four of uh, the deck is saying, hey, uh, we can get these cards in the graveyard or cast them out of our hand and get some longer term value out of them as well. This deck doesn't even run Lightning Bolt. <laughs> no, it's not. It's I mean, it's
2: bare, It's it's a rock deck that's splashing red and splashing white. Yeah, it's really weird to see a deck like this without Lightning Bolt. You're totally right. And also four <laughs> Smiting Helix is like- Yeah, that,
1: that's, that's a lot. That's a lot.
2: So- curious to see because you do have some I, I kind of feel like you would want this deck to have one more um one more discard outlet of some kind yes, to be exactly. able to make it really really happening you know but yeah. it's a really cool idea absolutely you know this is a different take on john it's a it's a retro take on Jund with a sort of new take at the same time because of the, the all, so many new cards that are in this archetype that weren't, or so many new cards that are in this build that weren't available the last time Lingering Jund was kind of popular back at the very, very beginning of modern, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it,
1: because it plays Lingering Souls, this is more to me like an update of obzon than mm-hmm. an update of Jund. like we've seen updates of Jund with Luris, and I do agree. Like when I saw the Force Binding Helix, I was like, I don't want to flip that off a of Dark Confidant. You know what I mean, like it's it's just not worth it to like the because then you have to cast this four mana spell and then flash it back, and it just doesn't seem really worth it to me. But I think it's a it's a cool deck. It t- took uh, what third place at this thing, so it's it's it can it can win some games.
0: So I will say. Although the four mana on the Helix is really expensive for modern, it's not so bad getting it off the Dark Confidant because it does gain you life. So it kind of buffers your life total from, like, the Dark Confidant loss.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, it does, of course, but, like, I don't want to be paying the amount of mana and, like, the tempo hit like to do that. So, I mean, it's the only, it's one of the only expensive spells in there. So, I mean, it's, it's unlikely that this, this deck is built the most perfect way, but I think the proof of concept is here and it's cool. I like some of those sideboard cards, A lot too. Uh, really quickly, like a pair of seal of primordium as like this enchantment based way to get rid of artifacts or enchantments, three collective brutality. I might talk about how much I like that card later on this episode. And of course, modern staple
2: boil. That's two of, (laughs) I got some stuff to say about boil in the deck. I'm going to talk about, (laughs) by the way. So
1: Um, I don't have a second deck, but I do have a major shout out to poker's wizards, Tron deck in the November 4th, modern prelim, which is green Tron. Normal little Greentron splashing a single Grove with the Burn Willows in order to run three Boil in the sideboard because you just got to play Boil.
2: Wow. Everybody really thinks Boil is the answer to the uh, Uro Piles, huh? Apparently.
1: And the Titan decks.
2: Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I only have one deck to talk about that really caught my eye. And that is from the Modern Challenge on the 8th. I guess it was posted on Goldfish on the eighth, which would be yesterday. This would be the Modern Challenge on Saturday, I believe, and it is the second place deck piloted by Timu. Timu, well-known blue-red control player in Modern, right? Stan. Mm -hmm. Uh, They took this deck to second place, and what it is is, is—is it control with Kiki Jiki in it? It's back.
0: Tell us about this mana base, David, because
2: that's that's what's up. Yes, that is what's up. I I, I do want to say so. I did get to play "quote unquote" play this deck on Friday nights. Not really play it. I I was on Lawson Zandy's. St- 24 hour modern stream that he did at the end of last week. Way to go Lawson. Yeah. Congrats to Lawson for pulling that off. He did it. He did it. Um, he, I got to play some of this deck with him and I got to ride along for part of an Earl pile deck with him. The time warp plus Ren six version of the Earl piles that we were talking about last week that Lawson's been having a lot of success with lately. That deck is powerful is all I can say. We'll, Maybe talk about that some other time. But this is a control deck is interesting because it's as Stan started to hint, this is one of those islandless, basically islandless blue decks that runs Boil itself. So it's got a mana base of four spire spire bluff canal, four river glide pathway, uh for cascade bluff. So I know Stan is into that. It also has three reflecting pools, which is a card that you do not see in modern very much. Yeah, this is a commander card. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a card that I loved from when I was a kid because it was in Tempest, which was very sweet. Um, But the, the whole thing about Reflecting Pool that Lawson pointed out to me when I asked him about it, I was like, why isn't this card run a bit more in modern? And he said he pointed out that it's really bad on turn one. So if you get multiples on turn one or have a hand with multiple by accident, it does expose you to some risk of just whiffing on your first turn. So something to keep in mind. But this deck was pretty sweet. It does play generally like you know any blue other blue red uh, control deck that you would imagine with a combo finish, which I think is kind of nice in the sense that it gives you a chance to uh, potentially go over the top. Some of the decks that are either not running very much interaction, or you get to hold up some some counter spells to be able to protect your combo. This is a deck where remand is very good.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested in the pair of Valakut Awakening in the main. How did that perform on in your experience with Lawson?
2: So actually, it came in pretty handy a couple of times. Obviously, it's very swingy because it's a card that you want to have when you're kind of doing badly. But it was good a couple of times to kind of like... Do the, you know, opt Snapcaster thing, get a bunch of land, get a bunch of big hand size and then kind of be like, well, I just have three lands in my hand. I don't really want them so I'm going to Valakut Awakening to try to get into the combo piece I'm missing or just to get more action. Basically, it's just kind of a good piece of utility. And I think given the fact that it is a land, you know, when it flips over, it's, there's not a ton of risk for running it. Um, I've, I felt like it was a reasonable piece in this deck, to be honest, especially because it was an instant.
0: One last question. Is this mana base, is it fetchless to avoid running islands or is it fetchless for the reason that Storm is fetchless where you're digging to your combo and you're just trying to like keep cards that you put on the bottom to stay on the bottom?
2: I'm not as sure about that, but I think it's mostly fetchless to avoid boil to avoid getting hit by boil and also to enable you to play it. Um, cause this, this deck can still win a lot of game. As you know, Stan, like this deck can win via bolt snap bolt because against other decks that fetch a lot or get, get greedy. It can also, it runs a pair of crackling drakes. So it, it has, it's not all in on the combo. It's got a lot of other stuff going on as well. I mean, one play that happened a couple of times with Lawson or that we talked about a couple of times was like Kiki Jiki. Like, crackling Drake into Kikijiki, make another crackling Drake. It's like, that's fine. You know, Stan's eyes got oh, really wide. So
0: that's why we're running the third Kikijiki, because that's very often a two of.
2: Yeah. So I think you're just okay with like duplicating your Snapcaster Mage or duplicating your Crackling Drake off of Kikijiki because Red Blue Control. With less comprehensive win conditions than this is often the way that that deck gets run as well. So this one has a good amount of creatures. I mean, for example, it's only running three Deceiver Exarch, so it's very much not all in on the combo. It doesn't have any Pester Mites. So. Yeah. But it was a fun deck. I think I think Lawson went 3-2 with it. I think I, I was around for three matches, if I remember right. I think we went one-two in the matches I was there for, but uh, you know, it was cool times. Um, and if you ever see Lawson streaming, I think he's a good guy to watch, so keep an eye out for it. I second that. I third it. <laughs> okay. So that is the end of the favorite decks that we had of the, this week. And now we're going to move on to the dive down where we're going to do even more favorites, our favorite favorites from our favorites, people's. That are not our wives. <laughs> All right. Stay with us.
0: And we're back. So in gearing up for episode 100, we wanted to do something a little more light and casual for for this week because we're putting extra work in for next week.
2: And We also just wanted to do something really positive. Just, you know, not for any reason other than we think it's a good thing to just put some happiness out into the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we had this idea where we were going to interview one another and try to figure out what all of our favorite things are. And we invited the patrons to submit their own questions. And I'm just going to pull the curtain back. The patrons ended up just doing all our work for us.
1: Oh, yeah. We had we not think of nothing. So
0: I, well, I still have some questions I, I might try to surprise you guys with. But the nation submitted so many fantastic questions that we're like, I our job is done for us. So thank you so much again to the Dive Down Nation, not only for your support, but also for your help with this episode. <laughs> We're going to just kick it off one question at a time, starting with Eric, who asks us, what's your favorite card that isn't good enough for modern anymore? Dave, you've been playing Magic the Longest.
1: Did we, did we mention that we don't know each other's answers to any of these questions?
2: Great point.
0: Yeah, we've been trying to surprise one another.
2: Yeah, we did not. We set up separate note documents. So now I did see stands when I deleted mine, but I immediately forgot all of them. I, I don't know any. I just, yeah, I deleted them. All right, good. But I have no idea what Shane's going to say to any of these. So, all right. So you were trying to lead off that I'm the old guy and I've been playing magic and modern the longest. And so what's the card that comes to mind for me first? And I think that mine is a little bit of a doozy in the way that like um, I have two. I have one that's obviously not good enough and one that I think is very close to not being good enough. That is like maybe a hot take. So first one Sphinx's revelation. Oh, yeah. It's a card that I really, really wish was good enough to play in modern. It was a card that was played in the first deck that I played in modern, which I started doing not too long after it was a card in standard, but it has just never, ever been good enough or fast enough to be good in modern.
1: So Dave, so people who aren't 41, uh, Sphinx's (laughs) Rev is Sphinx's Rev is like the famous blue white control card where it's like it's an X spell. That's like what like blue, white, white generic X and like you draw X cards and gain X life. That's or right. Like that. And
2: it's an instant. Well, I got the, I got the mana cost, right? Uh, no, you did not. So the, it is X bl- oh, white, <laughs> blue, blue.
1: Oh, I was close. You were close.
2: X white, I've blue, blue. i never cast that spell in my life. So. Yeah. Well, it's a card that I wanted to cast a lot of times. And it's a card that I put in a lot of decks for way longer than I should have in modern. Uh, it was run in guy. It's been running a couple times when blue, white control is good. Uh, it's just, always now it's just too slow for modern it's too expensive i think it's actually just too low impact like you almost never get up to enough mana to get to like eight cards drawn or six you know six cards drawn or whatever and also i just really think that modern it it fights back on an axis that is not really good in modern anymore where You have to spending a lot of mana to gain a lot of card advantage is not necessarily, I think, the way that modern works right now. And there's much more efficient ways to do both in separate cards to gain life or to gain cards. So for sure. Sphinx's Revelation was my take. And I'll save my second one for later if we don't go too long with your with other stuff.
1: Mine is similar in terms of like it's a it was a way to create a ton of value. And now it's really not. And that's dark confidant. And Ooh. it's funny, I mean, we just we just saw that, you know, uh, rock-style deck playing it, but that's not kind of the typical build of these style of decks anymore. Um, this was a former expensive four-of-stable in Jund, in obson and now it's like sometimes maybe like a singleton in a Jund deck or a couple in a Jund deck like now and then. Like Dark Confident was this must-remove threat. It could generate so much value for your opponent and in a lot of ways was like this sort of perfectly designed powerful card. It like seems so powerful, but apparently it's not how Jund needs to or wants to be generating value and card advantage any longer. And it's somewhat surprising because it's still just a card where like if this stays on the battlefield, then I'm going to be buried. But Jund doesn't need it.
0: I think... What's interesting about both of your picks is they were kind of outmoded in the last year or two. Or, I mean, Sphinx's Rev was outmoded a long time ago. But in the last year or two, we kind of have these new role fillers, I think, in the form of Ren and Six for Bob and maybe Shark Typhoon for Sphinx's Rev, where they kind of like do similar things, but much, much better in either generating card advantage or value or having like a mana
2: payoff I mean I agree you you get to hold up uh you get to scale shark typhoon more you get a card on it every time the shark token even at 2 is worth something it's not counterable I mean I think that's an interesting replacement for that I even think that something like um you know timely reinforcements coming into style as a sideboard card of choice for that type of deck for life gain is is important too because it's always a a uh, smaller amount of mana
1: how about you, Stan? What's your What's your favorite card that's not good enough for Modern anymore?
0: It's also an ironic one because we just talked about it, but I never got to play with Lingering Souls, and I think that used to be better than it is now.
1: That was almost my pick.
0: I just think it's such a cool card. I, I have a weird soft spot for token strategies. It's one of my favorite, like, casual archetypes to play. I kind of miss Thing in the Ice, too. Um, remember I- when that card was really, really, really good? <laughs>
2: I think that's a big one, Stan. That yeah. it, just at this moment is not particularly suited well. I also suddenly realized that I was just talking about us bringing positivity, and now we're just dragging a bunch of classic cards by saying there are favorite cards that are no longer good enough. But
1: well, well we start yeah we st- we started off like the sort of most on the bubble in terms of
2: positivity. We got a lot of actual favorites coming up. Yeah,
0: yeah. The big one for me though, aside from lingering and thing in the ice, is probably Nimble Obstructionist.
2: That isn't good enough anymore, huh? That's right. Not good enough anymore. (laughs) Can I give you my second one before we go on? See what you think about this card. Lightning Helix, I think, is maybe not good enough for general use in Modern anymore. It's necessary in Burn. It's necessary in maybe like Jeskai sometimes it's very good in, when Jeskai has a rare moment in the sun. But I feel like there's a lot of people who... For a while, Lightning Helix would show up all over the place. I think they're just better options or cheaper creatures that just are better threats for you on the board that kind of replace it. So if you think about like a tribal kind of zoo strategy that used to run Lightning Helix, I don't think there's space in that deck for that anymore.
1: Yeah, I don't really disagree. All
2: right. Stefan asked, what's your favorite sideboard
0: hate piece?
1: Yeah, let me start. Let me start here because I love this sideboard hate piece. Okay collective brutality. I love this card. I love it's. It's, I think one of the most perfect cards ever made. Wow. That's quite an assertion. I love how flexible it is. I love how it does so much right when you need it to do what it does without feeling like it takes the other player out of the game. Like, I guess you could argue that it does that to burn, like, but so be it. Like, I mean, and burn still tons of ways to win. Right?
2: Yeah. I feel like it's very helpful against burn, but I've lost plenty of games where I've gotten a ton of value off of collective brutality. And then just been like, well, they still got me.
1: Yeah. I mean, so like, it's, it's like a, um, it's a perfect modal card because like, all you have to do is have it's, it's just a single single color and a black. It can it fits into play strategies because it makes you discard. So like in the old Obzon decks, you can discard your lingering souls or discard lands you don't need or other things you can get back out of the graveyard. Um, it's good for like delirium style decks. And it's just like it's not one of those white sideboard hate pieces that makes the opponent have to have anti hate or just like lose the game. Uh, and so I just, I just love Collective Brutality. I think it's costed well. I think its effects are good for the cost. I think it fits into the strategy that you're trying to implement. And not a lot of cards hit on all those particular axes as well as Cobra does. I also do want to shout out uh, a decision-heavy sideboard piece and Pithing Needle. Because it's, like, sometimes super powerful, but also relies on you, like, trying to understand what your opponent has or doesn't have. And, like, it's not always really shutting down their entire strategy. Usually can, like, get rid of important pieces that are key to their strategy. But I think that's a really good sideboard piece.
0: Can I ask you guys a question about Pithing Needle? This is is a casual episode. I'm just going to interject every once in a while so you know i built tron recently and i have the karn great creator package and the version of tron that i modeled my paper deck after was playing spyglass spyglass in the side yeah and for an extra mana you get to look at your opponent's hand whereas pithing needle you kind of have to make a judgment of the blind how do you two measure those two cards against one another do you think maybe shane do you think one is better for tron than the other or
1: tron just makes more mana so it's like you frequently just have access to two a lot more frequently. Like you tutor it up with your Karn and you can cast it. And fr- sometimes that would just be too slow in games where you want Pithy Needle online or it takes you off your tempo too much. So that's really where I think it comes into play is like, how much tempo do you need to maintain? Uh, how much do you need to be developing your own game plan? Whereas Tron can be more reactive in the
2: game plan, I think. Cool. What he said. <laughs>
0: dave sideboard hate
2: pieces uh so it's interesting i'm glad that shane took it to the spot of good sideboard cards because like sideboard hate to me is like boil like that's a hate piece you know because it's so focused on what it does i guess it's a good point i kind of missed the hate point no but uh, but i much more prefer i don't really like running hate cards like anytime i have to run one of those cards i don't really like it um ones that are so narrow like boil or something like that like that's kind of what I what I first thought of. But if we're just talking about good sideboard cards that I really love, I think that you might know that one thing I really, really love is sideboarding in more interaction in the form of modal or cost efficient but narrow counterspells.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I love the archety- our typical card for this is negate. Like I love negate. I have a player re- full art player reward negates. A it's one card. of my favorite cards. I think it is one of the most perfect cards like ever made. It's just totally makes sense. It's still competitive. Sometimes it's probably gotten a little too expensive for modern at this point, but um, I'm into it. So if you think about negates or ceremonious rejection or aether gust or mystical dispute, like I love all of those cards. Realistically, secretly, I love veil of summer, <laughs> which is a bad thing to say potentially but um that's where it's at and then the last thing i would say real quick is i think everybody has to pick their favorite graveyard hate for this question and mine is um rest in peace
0: so the first card in my list is surgical extraction
1: oh look at you oh really we we knew that though i (laughs) think that makes sense my my hat just fell off my
0: yeah the source of a lot of internal discussion between the three of us is surgical i i actually really love sideboard hate pieces um I, I don't know if a braid counts as one, but like fry, I think, falls into this camp. Love casting fry. I put Fry into more decks than I probably should be in. A well-timed weather the storm. So satisfying. The big one, of course, is still a nimble obstructionist. <laughs> I, you know, look, I've been playing a lot of chord of calling into hate pieces in my modern elves sideboard, where I've got like three chord and then 12 creatures, three hate or 12 hate creatures. and that's been fun like playing a hateful creature as your sideboard hate
2: piece. I think it feels super powerful when you can do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Next question comes from Sean. What's your favorite matchup either currently or historically in Modern or Pioneer? I'll go first. Love playing Blue Moon against Humans. Ooh. I find it so skill intensive because humans has really great main deck tools against control. But this is like this unique control strategy that I think is designed to deal with creature heavy decks like humans that I find it skill testing um, in the way that I love my skills to be tested.
1: Yeah, blue moon casts a wide and weird net against humans. Like when you're playing as humans, you're like, well, I have to protect against the blood moon. Because the blood moon just destroys my ability to do anything unless I'm you know lucky and have like some noble hierarch or one or two aether vials down, right? And then if the uh, the human's opponent does do that against you on blue moon, then that makes your blood moons like a lot less valuable. I mean, while still having some value. So it, you're right. It's like a fun dance. It's a hard dance on the human's end. And I imagine it might be somewhat equally so on your end as a blue moon player.
0: Yeah, because I registered blue moon. That's never easy.
2: Yeah, that is like playing a tournament on hard mode, I think, Blue Moon. Uh I'll go. So, one of my favorite matchups right now is actually is um UR prowess versus Jund. I think is an interesting uh matchup. It's not one that I think my favorite deck out of the two is particularly favored in, you know, on the prowess side. It's not particularly favorite against Jun, but it is winnable, and um, you can overwhelm them. You can go aggro. You can be smart, and use your mutagenic growths around their um, around their lightning bolts. You can get picked apart by their hand disruption. So I think it's an it's an interesting one to play. Um, and then one of my other favorite ones is actually, uh, of course, the hallowed of this era of modern burn versus shadow matchup of kind of any version of that matchup.
1: I've played that surprisingly few number of times, if you can believe
2: it. Same. It's, it's really surprising. I feel like I'm always doing it wrong, regardless of which <laughs> side of that matchup I'm on. I feel like I'm always doing it wrong. I, I feel like there's been like
0: countless articles written about that matchup, though I've never read or even seen one. But people talk about it so often that there has to be some thought leadership.
2: Yeah, Michael Rapp has definitely written an article about that on Card Kingdom's blog. So okay. if you do want to read someone who has a lot to say about it, Go Google that.
1: Uh, speaking of burn, my favorite matchup is playing as burn versus control in like any format, really. Like, I just love having to make the decisions about like, am I committing to the board? Am I casting a spell into potential counter magic? Or am I like sandbagging some spells? How long can I? Like, am I holding back like a skull crack effect or something like that? Am I attacking into their planeswalkers or am I attacking their face? Because, like, it's really a, g- a game of inches. And it's just like this really fun sort of dance between the players. And I think it is both skill and luck rewarding, which is the best part about magic. And so I think that that is that's something that I love doing. And I I really it's like it's it's also the matchup that I made day two in at GP Phoenix uh, versus a much better player than myself. And I was just like it just felt so awesome. And I was so amped up that I was just like, I'm always going to remember this matchup.
0: All right. Next question comes from Ben. I like this question a lot. I'm worried it's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but I'm going to be very candid with it. Ben asks, what's your favorite overheard comment at a magic event?
1: Well, Stan, Stan, do you, you want to go right into it or do you want to sandbag it to the end? I'll sandbag. Okay,
2: Dave. So uh, this is tough for me because I, I don't remember like overheard conversations. Can I can I instead relay a short anecdote about one of my favorite things that ever happened at at the store that I was at? So, as listeners might know, my father opened an LGS when I was 7 16 17 years old, so we had one of the LGSs on the west side of Cleveland, pretty popular store, a lot of people come, a lot of tournaments, blah blah blah. We used to stay like pretty late at night on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Uh, after after hours, we would do drafts and all kinds of stuff. And one night, my father, who is someone who was often quite confounded by the game that he had decided to build a store around, um, he's kind of a tilt box. We had a player who was very good, who was around all the time. His name was Mark. Really nice guy. Really great guy. Um, one night, we did a late night draft where we started a draft at 11 a 11 p.m., And drafted until like three in the morning and in the last round when my father lost to Mark, my dad picked up the deck of cards and just shuffled the deck directly (laughs) into the other player. Like sort of did the like riffle shuffle thing where you like shoot cards at the other person because he was so tilting about losing like five matches in a row that night or something. That was one of the most hilarious moments as someone who was not a part of that moment (laughs) to be there for. Mr. Oh
0: Harbarger, gosh. bad manners. <laughs> I,
2: I'll say <laughs> Did Mark ever come back to the store? I mean, it took some time, but he did. <laughs> I mean, now I laugh about it, but there were there were people upset about it for sure. Don't do that to people, by the way, once paper gets going again. Don't do that to anybody. It's just funny in hindsight. <laughs> Shane, you got any anecdotes?
1: I mean, like Dave, I I think it's kind of hard to remember. Like I remember I I have like memories of things that happened, um, but not a lot of memories of like funny comments. Like I just remember a lot of like sort of, kind of ridiculous stuff about like you know people's pet cards or pet decks it's like really hard to defend as objective including my own where it's like oh this mashup is like you know 80 20 i can't believe i lost it or it's like <laughs> we're getting like salty after a loss like either me or the other player and it's like you say something kind of gross where it's like well you sure did draw better than i do and you better than i did and it's like i don't have anything like too funny here sadly i think Um, yeah, just, it's just like, it's sort of a weird like melange of like memories of being at the LGS and like knowing that weird things or funny things happened or like conversations happened where I was like, that is not correct. (laughs) Wow. Shane corrected something that was incorrect. Amazing. No, I did not. I keep that to myself (laughs) at the LGS. All right. So, and I'm sure you have a good one. You have a much better memory for things like this than I do, I think.
0: Well, the reason I remember it, I think. Perhaps maybe in part because it was the last like big paper event that we went to. It was the SCG Regionals at that mall. Um, Sky Mall? Yeah, at the Sky Mall early 2020.
2: The one where I wandered around inconsolable after I dropped from the tournament and the mall was <laughs> seemingly vacant except for like old people who were getting exercise.
0: Yeah, it's that mall. Yeah. It, it was the tournament that was held across the hallway from a store that's old like swords mm-hmm. and massage tables. Um, so, man, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Cause like, I, I want to provide <laughs> context. Um, and it might, it, God, I'm so nervous. It's going to like, opsec someone, but I'll apologize later. People may know this. I, I go out of my way to be a very, very friendly magic opponent in paper. Like, you you know, I feel like I'm representing the podcast. I love the gathering. I've made countless genuine IRL friends from people I met playing magic.
2: Yeah. I mean, you never throw a deck at anybody.
0: Not once. I've never, like, I've never gotten mad at someone vocally, except this one time at this tournament where I was sitting next to someone who was being really loud. Um, And they were being so loud that at one point it, it physically hurt my ears. Like, you know, when someone just like goes zero to 60 volume wise, and it's like you kind of recoil. So that happened. And and at that point, I asked them to please speak in an indoor voice as politely as possible. But this person at one point said, I think, again, memory is faulty. It's been a year. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this, this person said at one point, my dad is the
2: chief of police of... <laughs> <laughs> um... And that was just really funny to you out of context that it was such a specific and weird comment to yell.
0: Just imagine like gloating to a stranger at a magic tournament that you're you're the child of the chief of police of a small suburb of Chicago.
2: I mean, I, I used to tell people at magic tournaments that I was the son of the mayor of a small town on the in the suburbs of Cleveland. Little mayor, little mayor. It's yeah.
0: like it's like a character of a person who goes on a power trip because their their parent or guardian is is like the chief of police. Oh yeah, totally. And then I heard it. All right, so I'm gonna brush over that one before someone leaves me angry comments on the internet. Blue cheese asks the next question: What's your favorite piece of bling that you own?
2: I'll answer mine real quick. Everybody knows <laughs> what my favorite card that I own is. My favorite cards that I own are, they are my two alpha, two beta lightning bolts that I uh, received as a present from my father a while ago, probably eight, eight, ten years ago at this point. Um, he happened to find them. He, he got them randomly through a trade for basketball cards at a sports show that he was doing and he kept them and he gave them to me for Christmas. Um, oh, I wish sick. they are sick. I wish I felt okay taking them with me to tournaments still, but I really don't at this point, but they're my valuables box.
0: Shane, do you bling out your decks? Do you go out of your way for MTG bling?
2: Have I mentioned my
1: 99% complete Russian Tron deck recently? Because I still have it. Um, there's a few sideboard pieces that allude me. It has gone down in value, I'm sure. Uh, after um, Artifact Masters, I mean dub- double? Is that double Masters? There's still some sideboard pieces that I... Don't have that are really like it's just it's so if you don't know the way some f- uh, foreign language sets work is that the they don't get uh, the special sets they don't get the reprint sets so like Japanese frequently does get a lot of the reprint sets Russian does not like so the first like sort of reprint or new print set that Russian got was like Modern Horizons but they didn't get like Modern Masters Modern Masters Two etc so like. For me to get a uh, Threat Dusk, I have to get, like, what is it, Magic 12 or something like that? Magic 13, uh, Corset 13. Like, I've got to go find that in Russian. So I only have two. And usually, you know, usually there's three or something like that. But anyway, that's my cool story. Uh, I have that. That's the only thing I've really done a lot of effort into. Back when I played Affinity, like my first, my sort of second modern deck, I had about half. I had the cheap stuff foiled. I had, and then, and then a lot of it did, did not become cheap any longer, but I had, I had all the cheap stuff foiled. So I had like 30 foils, 30 non-foils, which is kind of janky, but it was fun.
0: How do you find your Russian cards?
1: Uh, Facebook. I have, like, I've mentioned like my, my Russian card guy, uh, Dimitri, that's <laughs> like, like, it's, it's like what named john in russian i suppose but uh yeah i've got a lot of stuff from uh them i have not picked up anything recently although there was a few pieces i should reach out and, you know just with the coronavirus like no one wants to be receiving stuff that's just been going through touching god knows how many other pieces of mail or people and you know pays to be safe i suppose
0: and, and likewise you're saying my tron should have three Drag tusks in the side?
1: Sometimes. You know, I think I mean I might only have one. I think I have one German, one Russian or something like that, or one Japanese. It's like just like a mishmash because I can't find I I ordered a Russian on TCG player a long time ago. I came as German. I was a little peeved. (laughs) Because
0: I've got two, but then I have three main deck worm coils. I thought that was enough life gain.
1: You know, you never you never know what you need, Stan.
0: I don't really go out of my way for bling either. Um the closest thing i could come up with is one time i bought a play set of signed Emerical aeons torn because it was cheaper than the normal playset of Emerical aeons torn and i just like found a sweet deal on craigslist and it helped me finish the through the breach combo so i pulled the trigger sweet next question comes from jason what's your favorite judge interaction that you've had all of my judge interactions have been bad
1: like actually bad or like are you are you being sarcastic
0: <laughs> I make them bad e- even when I'm on the right I I
1: I burn bridges every time a judge is called whoa 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 it doesn't seem like you I don't have a lot of memories I have one I've me- memories of a few judge interactions where it's like I did mess up and like, we were like, I was like, let's call a judge or like, they were like, I'm going to call just, I was like, yeah, let's call it like, let's just make sure we got this right. Or like, you know, let me know how I'm wrong type thing. But I, I like when like judges, uh, want to help you out. Like they, they want people to have fun playing a game, right. By and large, but they are, they have restrictions on what they can tell you or not. And I like seeing judges like want to do their job while still like telling you what they can tell you. And I, I like just seeing those like mental hurdles being lapped over by me. Ask them a question. They're like, uh,
2: it will happen as you expected or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. They, they want to tell you the right, sometimes you can tell that they want to tell you the right thing to do. Cause they see the play yes. you should make and you're not <laughs> seeing it, but they're trying very hard to not tell you any game altering information. Absolutely. How about you, Dave? Uh, I mean, I have the only like really memorable other than the the type of stuff you're saying, Shane, you know, I think the judges do a great job. Like I don't remember ever having like a bad interaction with a judge. Really? I was a judge at one point in time, a long time ago in the Mirage era. I had, I had to be because I ran, we ran tournaments at the store. So I think my dad was a level three judge at that point in time back in the day point in time that the certifications are different now. So I was drafting on day two of um, Vegas 2015 one time. So it was, so it was competitive REL draft. It's, I had done a competitive draft before, but I'd never like day two to GP before or since for that matter. And I was, um, I had a bad green, white tokens deck. There's this card in it called Kavu Primark that has kicker and convoke both and so i i had to ask a judge one time i wanted to know if i could use my eldrazi scion token to convoke it and also pay the mana cost of the kicker and i had to like step away from the table with the judge and i showed him the card and he just said no he like he knew what i was gonna ask immediately about (laughs) kabu primark i didn't have to explain that i had an eldrazi scion token i wanted to use or anything i just held up primark and he went It doesn't work that way. And I was like, okay, (laughs) thank you. I just ran back to my table and sat down and proceeded to lose.
0: I quickly just realized my favorite judge interaction. I think you two will appreciate this because it's not a real interaction, a singular interaction per se, but we have, we had this judge in Chicago for a long time named Dathan who was pivotal in me falling in love with organized play. He was the first MTG judge that I ever got to interact with at the first LGS I ever played at. Brainstorm Comics doesn't exist anymore, but it used to. And Dathan was just this great ambassador for the game, so friendly, has since become, you know, kind of a personal friend of mine. I think he's close with you two as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Love Dathan.
0: Yeah. A good judge can really change a person's life. So there's my favorite judge interaction.
2: And speaking of another judge that I've had a lot of fun talking with, Judge Jack. Oh, yeah. Member of the Dive Down Nation. Seen him at tournaments a a number of times now. Always positive, always helpful, and definitely helps us out on the show all the time. So shout out to him Mm -hmm. and... Jack has a great question. He asked the next question that we have on our question list, actually, which is, what is your favorite draft format? Oh, man, Dave, you drafted so many. I know. I might want to go later because I have a lot of things to say here. Um, mine's pretty
1: simple. Like, the, it's just the set I drafted the most was probably triple cons. I don't think I was good at draft. And at that point, I like, know I wasn't good at draft. Uh, it's like the set I came back into magic with, and I was just going to the LGS a lot. And so it's probably my favorite also because like triple cons is sweet. Like it's a tri color format and the way you stayed open was a little different than usual, which
2: is something I would find out later. I mean, that was something that I didn't know at the time that it was different. Yeah. I mean, I personally think triple cons was on my list for sure. I think it's one of the all time greats uh, draft formats, especially when you consider that some draft formats got worse over time. Once people, once the secret was out, On them. Like a good example of that, I think, is Triple Innistrad, which was super popular at the time, very beloved. But once people started knowing what the good archetypes were, it was really like people couldn't draft their favorite decks anymore. Triple Cons is still just an interactive, interesting format, um, and it's aged well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's got cool mechanics like Morph. There's just a lot of cool cards and cool interactions in the format. Um, I mean, I'm not a huge drafter in general, though, so my opinions are kind of loose and kind of poor here, I think, ultimately.
0: I really loved both versions of Amonkhet, both Triple Amonkhet and Hour Hour were yeah, You've
1: talked a lot about that. Yeah,
0: I thought they were fun for different reasons. I loved how fast and aggressive Triple Amonkhet was. As much as people kind of like hated playing like against Red White by the end of it, I I just thought that there was a lot of interesting decisions that came with a hyper-aggressive draft format that you don't really get a lot of, or at least I haven't in my experience drafting. Uh, but also, like, certain powerful cubes, I think, are awesome. Like, getting, getting the chance to draft a Black Lotus and a Mox and, like, a Winter Orb. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty satisfying.
2: Uh, so I have some maybe... Ta- takes here. Like I actually kind of like sets where there's good aggro decks to draft quite a bit. And they're the ones that I tended to do better in, honestly. So I maybe have fonder memories of sets where I was better at I had better results. And so one of the the sets that I had the best results with was triple Kaladesh. Honestly, which was a set that I loved and I'm looking forward to giving giving Remastered a try on Arena. I will say it's a good set. It's got some really clear flaws. One of which is the inclusion of Renegade Freighter. Yes, Renegade Freighter, I was gonna say at common is really Awful, And then there was actually another card that I forget the name of that was an uncommon in Aether Revolt. So, you know, we still did mixed drafts then where you would do, you know, it was Aether Revolt, Aether Revolt, Kaladesh. And Aether Revolt had another train that was almost as good as Renegade Freighter, just an uncommon. So you still saw that a lot when you got that. But I really liked that set. And I I really liked some of the strategies that I think were less Beloved, like there was a card in the set called Gear Seeker Serpent that had affinity for artifacts basically, yeah, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. awesome and quite underdrafted. And so you could put together a decent kind of like controlling deck with some good artifacts, a little bit of early blocking, and then drop just a bunch of these Gear Seeker Serpents for cheap, uh, which was sweet. Um, you know, I loved this set because prophetic prism was incredible. In this and I had so many prophetic prisms and so many gear seeper, seeker serpents at the end. But you know, even aside from that, I really enjoyed the the aggro energy decks that there were and all kinds of different stuff. So I, I really liked Kaladesh. I liked Aether Revolt as well. Um I also really like full block original Theros, weirdly, the um journey into Nyx Born of the Gods, Theros, which was just a, I think was a set that came out around the time that I started getting deeper and deeper into magic um so i have good memories of that one and also i i weirdly really liked ixalan Hmm. (laughs) type times three and also rivals of ixalan which were both kind of like i think medium liked formats they had problems with them ixalan was on
1: rails right
2: yeah ixalan was yeah they're on rails ixalan was extremely aggro but i did really well at the format um and uh Rick's was tough because it had Tatsumac, of course, but oh, yeah. um, there were still some fun games that that came out of that. So those are some of my favorite ones that I remember that are one that are not like the all time greats. Like, you know, everybody loves um, everybody loves Rise of the Eldrazi, for example. Yeah. It's like
1: triple Innistrad. Yeah. Dominaria. Yeah cons you
0: know Dominario is one that never clicked with me and i felt like i was taking crazy pills because people refer to it as one of the greats and i drafted it a ton and it felt like i could never improve
2: yeah same i never wanted that format very hard next question comes from spencer what's your favorite
0: non-sanctioned magic format the examples that spencer provides are flip it or rip it as well as format yeah as well as pack wars um, I have a feeling the two of you took some liberties with uh, these examples though.
1: I mean, I actually played pack wars with Spencer and, uh, one of his friends when we were, we were traveling, we traveled to and from GP Phoenix together, uh, back in February and playing pack wars, uh, was more fun than I thought it would be. We kind of played it like commander. Like we just played it like all three of us playing at the same time. And we like made adjustments on the fly, uh, to our life totals and stuff like that. We're like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't work because we were, we were just killing time as like with a flight delay. And we were kind of, we were kind of zonked after the long weekend. So it was just like a fun way to kill some time and open some of the packs that we had uh, won or used our uh, prize tickets on. Like we all, I think we all left with like a box each just because we had to do something with like our side event tickets. And the way, if you don't know pack wars, pack wars is basically you open a pack and put three of every land and you make a little mini deck and you see what happens right
0: because then you have what a, a basically a 30 card deck
1: yeah. yeah it's like it's a good way to like open stuff without just like crack 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 i've even done it with two of every land before instead yeah i mean you can you you can make modification there's a lot of modifications i think the yeah.
0: first time i ever cracked open an ugin the spirit dragon was fate reforged pack wars but I didn't draw it. I, I finished the game, and then I looked at the bottom card, and it was just Ugin staring at me, and I, I think I screamed.
1: Oh, yeah. Import- importantly, you don't look at your cards. Yes. You just shuffle it up. Right, like, right That's right. the fun part. You're like, oh, I opened that. Dave?
2: I mean, I think the first thing that came to my mind was Pack Wars. Honestly, like I think that's that's pretty fun. Um, the only other thing that I thought about, which is a non section format, not really a format at all, is that... Um, I've had a lot of fun playing the Magic Game Night product with my nephew when I go over to his house sometimes. Yeah, I can see it in the background behind stand up there. Actually, he's pointing at it on his shelf. I think it's a good product for like casual play. It's got five decks. Each one's a monocolor deck in it. And the, the decks are like pretty powerful. Like the cards that are in there are pretty powerful. They're focused. They have some four ofs. They're not just like all the they're not just kind of like one of starter decks. Um, so I've enjoyed playing that as far as like just casual um, sort of fun times magic.
0: I don't have a good answer. I Don't really mess with pack wars. And I think flip it or rip it just is confusing. I don't understand (laughs) why you would want to do that. High stakes.
2: Mm. High reward. So let's do some non-magic questions, Stan.
0: Sure. Next question comes from Jason. What's your favorite book that you've read more than once, which can I just mention, Jason, this is a great way to ask people what their favorite books are because when someone's bookish and reads a ton, it's like asking what your favorite movie is, but, when you revisit a book, I think that actually speaks to the quality of the book or your relationship with it. So I, I love this question.
2: And Stan, I'm going to ask that you go first since you had sort of a non answer on the last one. Let's hear what you have about books.
0: I've read Being There by Jersey Kaczynski countless times. It's, I, I find that it's a really easy like beach read. I can usually just like knock it out in a day or a sitting. Um, and it's just like this fun little look into, 1970s American pop culture or media culture. It's been uh, adapted into a movie that people might've seen with Peter Sellers, but I think it's a really fun book too. Kind of weird.
2: Awesome.
1: Um, I had, so I had an answer lined up and I wasn't around my, I wasn't around my bookshelf at the time. And I'm, I looked at my bookshelf and I'm audibling because my favorite book I've read more than once is something I recently revisited and it's, Life After God um by Douglas Copeland. And Life After God is not is not an atheist book. It's not a book about religion. Whew, it's, it's at all. There's uh, there's nothing there's nothing controversial about what I just said. Um it's it's in my opinion. I'll be the judge uh, of that. Yes, yeah, so is you. <laughs> and what what Life After God is, it's like sort of like, Douglas Copeland, um, he's the person who coined the term Generation X. Uh, and he wrote the book generation X and which is another book that would be on that short list for me. And this is kind of like the stuff I read when I got into reading, like in my, like, you know, late teens, early twenties, when I was reading a lot more than I do now, to be honest with you. And I don't know, I, it's like, it, it just has an extreme mood and an extreme sort of like vibe to it. And I like things that can sort of create such a strong sort of emotional sort of period or like a little emotional environment that you can exist in when you read a book. And I think the topics speak to, uh, people of all ages, you know, whether it's about, you know, kind of about exploration and, and finding oneself in a, a world that is hard to find oneself in at times. And so, I don't know, check it out. It's really short.
2: It's uh it's a fast read. So check it out. Shane, when you, when you said that you used to read a lot and then now you don't read anymore, that just like, that's so me right now. Oh my God, I used to read so much in my 20s and then like, not really ever. Well, it's because I never
0: take the train anymore. When I was commuting to work every day, I would knock out books pretty frequently.
2: Same. Yeah, that's totally true. And then, you know, you have kids and all this stuff, but um, I have a long list here of books that I love that I've read multiple times. Uh, But the one that people... There's two that people may not have heard of before that I'll just talk about really quickly. One is uh, called Sometimes a Great Notion by Ken Kesey. And Ken Kesey is kind of known as the probably most famous for being the the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, it is, an I think, an excellent and interesting um, example of like 60s literature. It's a cool story of like Shakespeare... Esque story of the tra- you know the downfall of a family tragedy kind of uh, interesting setting. It's set in the backwoods of of Oregon. It was made into a movie that never really went anywhere back in the day. Based off of his success with One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, I think. But um, it's an interesting book that doesn't come up on a lot of people's list. But um, definitely had some formative things for me as far as writing goes. It's pretty experimental sometimes. Ken Kesey's just a great author. If you haven't read One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, worth it. Uh, and then the second book that I think of a lot when I think of favorite books I've read a, a few times is uh, The Master of Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. Yeah, I need to revisit that for sure. Which is a f- just like incredible book. I think super interesting. Russian cats. Yeah, I mean it's about it's about the day that uh, the devil comes to Moscow or that comes to comes to town basically i think it's moscow
0: it's either moscow or st petersburg
2: yeah Yeah, i'm suddenly blanking on that but it's a you know allegorical story about communism basically and like communism in the ussr and it's um it's very interesting and super well done and weaves in all this kind of like biblical allegory and stuff it's a it's a good good book
0: i want to audible really quick i have a stand question that is related to this one that i think is another fun way to talk about literature have you ever been brought to tears by a book?
2: Probably. Or, you know, just choked up. Oh, I have an answer right away. So, um, have you ever read Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer? No, but I know I probably should. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how that book is aged at this point, but it is, you know, it was made into a movie. Uh, it's a book about a child searching for his father who died in, um, nine 11 essentially. And it came out not too long after nine 11. So everything was like pretty fresh still. And I remember I read the whole book on a flight from, uh, LA to Chicago when I was on a business trip one time. And just like, I remember sitting on the plane, just like motoring through this book and just being like, Oh my God, I'm going to cry on this plane in front of all these people while like reading this really touching and interesting story of this sort of, um, you know, odyssey that this, Young Child goes on through New York post nine eleven. It was really, it was really, it really hit me hard at the time. Uh, like I said, not sure how it's kind of looks in retrospect, but.
0: Well, because I, I prefer and really love to read on trains. Every time that this has happened to me, I was in public commuting somewhere. <laughs> one, one instance, the first time I remember this happening was It Chooses You by Miranda July, which is nonfiction. It's about this filmmaker working on a movie, um, I think the movie shares the same name. I don't remember exactly, but Miranda July just meets a bunch of people through the literal penny saver to like buy stuff. And she interviews this elderly couple and they kind of talk about their very old romance. And it was very touching. And I got incredibly choked up on a train downtown. Yeah. (laughs) Also recently this happened with the czar of love and techno. Uh, That got me pretty emotional.
2: Uh, I haven't heard of that. What book is that?
0: It's called The Czar of Love and Techno. Okay, it's <laughs> a book. Like, is it new? Uh, it's within the last five years or so. It's a book that I've actually been gifting a lot to people because it was like the most recent example of a book that just like blew my mind with how beautifully written and interesting it is. Uh, I'll buy you a copy. I'll buy both oh, of you a copy.
2: Thanks. Gifting a book is a big risk. <laughs> I don't think it's a big risk. Isn't it just, it's just like an ultimate expression of like, I want you to understand this thing about me.
1: Gifting a book. That's that's why it's risky. That's why it's risky. It's like, it's like revealing something about yourself and like ask at the same time, asking them to appreciate something, hopefully in the way that you do.
0: I think it gets easier once you're married. Mm. It's risky when you're, you're in your gifting a book to someone you're dating.
2: Cause
0: relationships end that way.
2: Uh, You're totally right. I, I knew this girl one time who went speaking of like a weird story. I knew this girl one time, she went to a party and this guy gave her a copy of the alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And was like, read this. And, and then, and then he wrote his name in the book with his phone number and was like, and when you're ready to give it back, give me a call. Then I kind of imagined that he just had a case of copies of The Alchemist, like at his house. And just like every time he met somebody, he'd be like, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Guys, no joke. The
0: Alchemist is number two in my list of books that I love that I've reread multiple times and, and have also gifted. I, I gifted a copy to my wife once upon a time.
2: Did you give one to this girl that I knew when you were 15 and she was 25? Do you think that did that did that sound familiar?
1: Did I end up marrying her? It sounds like something Stanislav would do. Is your
2: wife 10 years older than you? No. No.
1: I hope not. Okay. So we, we should, this is the beginning of our sub book, uh, podcast, but let's keep bouncing. Well,
2: wait, wait, with that in mind, I I do want to, no, no, we're going to divert to (laughs) some non magic for a minute. All right. Favorite. Like I'm going to ask you your favorite album. I want the first thing that comes to mind. I don't want you to think about it. Shane, favorite (sighs) album.
1: Uh, Yola Tango. I can hear that. Heart beating is one. Great.
2: Stan,
0: my beautiful dark twisted fantasy by Kanye West.
2: Wow. Really? That, that
1: much.
0: I mean, I
2: think it's the dark side of hip-hop. That's cool. Mine but- is probably uh, uh, Magnolia Electric Company by Songs Ohio would be like oh, the album I go back to a lot.
1: I mean, Built to Spill, Keep It Like a Secret. Um, Magnolia Electric Company uh, or Songs Ohio Lioness is probably one of the most pure expressions of emotion ever put to uh, to an album. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, I, th- I think, yeah. Jason Molina R.I.P.
2: Yeah. And then... I'm gonna do the same for movies. I just want to hear one movie right away. Gut reaction. Tell me, tell me the favorite movie that is on your mind right now. Big Lebowski. Okay. Back to the Future. Mine would be Rushmore,
1: probably. Rushmore is really good. So, so it's a it's a perfect movie. Okay, that's it. Big for Lebowski
2: is too. Dive down media minute.
0: Kyle asks, "What's your favorite legacy card that is not modern legal?" And when I answered this question, I assumed this meant cards that weren't banned in modern. But we're literally never printed into
1: modern. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is it?
0: Probably counterspell. But wirewood symbiote has been a lot of fun lately for me in Legacy Elves.
2: Now I remember we got this question before, and your answer was wirewood symbiote, and now you have played it. Yeah, and now you love it. It's so fun. Right. Awesome. Mine is counterspell. Easy. That's that's just it is what it is. I think it's fine power level for modern whatever Uh, the card that I like that's in legacy. That isn't modern legal is wasteland, but there's no way that I would like to see that in modern. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. but it is a sweet card. I've actually cast like a super, I was looking at the list of legacy,
1: like powerhouses and I've cast so few of them, even like in cubes or something like that. Like I haven't cast day. I think I've maybe cast days and popper. I haven't cast like force of will or ponder or preordain or swords to plowshares or anything like that so like I think uh, red element's a blast because screw blue decks screw blue cards <laughs> it's a good card Odin asks what's your favorite weird rules interaction Dave I want you to go first on this one I feel like you have a lot more exposure
2: to weird interactions I mean my favorite one is the fact that Chalice of the Void does not stop uh, Shattering Spree oh, yeah. which is so weird because Replicate places copies on the stack and they cannot be countered. They're just on the stack. So the first one gets countered, but the second one doesn't. Super cool.
0: I think just holding priority is is funny. It's a funny way to use the rules to your advantage.
1: Do you think you have ever actually held priority when you needed to?
2: I don't think I have. Sure. I definitely have. Because yeah. I have to remand my own spell sometimes. Do you mean on Magic Online held priority when you needed to or in paper? Shane? I mean, either way, like, uh, like, have you, have you ever in paper,
1: like held priority and been like, and when it, it was actually necessary, like I can imagine
2: thinking I need to, and I actually don't. Well, I mean, I think that there's things that you have to communicate with people about, especially if they're not as clear on the rules. Like when you cast a planeswalker and then you try to activate it and they go, wait, I didn't get a chance to kill it before you activate it. And then you have to explain, yeah. well, it's because I had priority. It's not really holding priority. It's just. Being, a, being aware of of it exactly
0: but but aren't you holding priority when you have to remand your own spell while it's on the stack like remanding a a grape shot
2: yep and i that's the other thing i had written in my notes was i love the the grape shot remand grape shot interaction <laughs> as well it's fascinating yeah i'm not sure this is like an interaction but i really
1: love viling in a creature in response to thalia's lieutenant's trigger going on the stack because what that does is you get a counter on the creature you vial in and a counter on the Thalia's lieutenant. Uh, cool. Tasty. It's I'll take it. Just, it's just it's just that's just good, it's just like efficient, good play. It brings me a little smile. It's like, oh, 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 oh I did it.
0: <laughs> There's that little smile. I see it right now.
1: Shane's happy just thinking about it.
0: Dom asks, What's your favorite card from the last year that brings joy? A great question because people have been pretty mad at the last year of magic and fire design. So I- Let's talk about the the cards that brought us joy in twenty twenty.
2: I mean, I have two. I think I think people could guess what they were if we asked them to. One is Stormwing Entity. Oh yeah. Mm. The other one is Scourge of the Skyclaves.
1: Uh-oh. Love them oh, both.
2: Yeah. You think you think they're both? Uh,
1: I mean, S- Stormwing has proven itself to be totally fine. What do you think about Scourge's power level right now? Totally fine. It's just a big beater, I think. Um. Dom asked this question. I think we're going to probably agree on the card from the last year. I like a lot of cards from Theros beyond death, but I think Ox of Agonis is probably number one just because it reinvigorated dredge quite a bit. Uh, I also really do. I like Vivian monsters advocate from ilob. I think it's just a cool design and like a style of play. I enjoy. And I think they're both like safe, very safe cards and ox is only good. Like in, you know one or maybe 1.5 archetypes. I love Clothus. Yes, you
0: do. Clothus is cool.
1: Um, My old friend Clothus.
0: Yeah, she's nice. We don't talk about this card that much, but I just think Wilt is awesome sideboard technology. I love that they've made Disenchant even better
2: for no reason. Yeah. They just were like, let's make an even better Disenchant.
0: And of course, shout out to Shark Typhoon. What a f- what a fun addition for control decks. That we didn't need but i'll take it
2: you know what's funny about shark typhoon is that i do really love that card but i i don't think i'm ever gonna buy any in paper i just don't see myself sleeving up the decks that it goes into so i've played it a bunch on magic online but i just right now i can't imagine being in a spot where i needed (laughs)
1: paper but it's a sweet card you know what's weird is i own shark typhoon I I bought it for like pioneer usage like when it was sort of fresh and I think it's I think I've made quite (laughs) might have quite a bit of cash off it just sitting in my collection
0: lou asks what's your favorite spell to cast
1: well I agree with lou okay so lou provided a prompt here in their question and um, I did not include it in the notes, but uh, they said Thoughtsies, And I agree with this because I think I like the thought process you have to put into making Thoughtsies good. Like, how do you punch a hole in their hand? And like the words of Reed Duke, famous Thoughtsies caster, like you have to kind of like know and look at the tools you have at your disposal or might have at your disposal later on in the game. You have to like understand their intended game plan, like what, and and you see what cards they have to work with now, but also you have to think about what cards they could have to work with. Like, I also love casting it like turn one, game one, especially at the LGS because you get to see like what kind of crazy thing you're going up against. And sometimes you're like, what in the world is going on here? Yeah. Oh, all obstinate bayloths, huh?
2: <laughs> Just all of them. Oops, all locks and on smiters. Stan, I'm going to let you go with your your answer, but I'm almost positive it's the same answer as mine.
0: Uh, I like casting a flashback to lightning bolt off of a snapcaster mage. Or as I like to call it, is it command?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty simple. That was mine, my answer for sure. So as a backup because I knew I would need it, I would say that one of my favorite cards to cast is Manamorphos because mm. it is weird, nothing and yet still broken. That's why I think it's a very cool card.
1: Manamorphos really should be blue red, blue red hybrid not it should be it should be is it hybrid instead of gruel hybrid because it's just a wheel spinny card. Yeah,
2: probably should.
0: I had a backup as well just in case you went before me and you were going to steal mine. I've been loving casting natural order in legacy elves lately in the mana traders legacy qualifiers. Have you guys ever cast a
2: natural order? I mean, it's been literally 15 or 18 years since I cast a natural order, but I had a playset of them from visions back in the day. I don't even know what it does.
0: It's two green, green sack, a creature search, your library for a creature put it on the battlefield.
2: But they it's, have to be green, don't they? Or are they, yeah, or is it just sack a creature? It might
0: be sack a green creature, and I just never like process that line of text because all my creatures are green. But or maybe you have to fetch a green creature. The problem here's the thing: the deck is mono green, so I don't have to worry about some of those clauses.
2: You have to sack a green creature and also get a green creature. Yes.
0: Right. But what you're getting are crater hoofs and progenitus. <laughs> right. Which is technically green.
2: You're sacrificing a uh, a, a Lanoir elf to get progenitus. Exactly. exactly. Feels good. Does feel good. Alex
0: asks what's your favorite tribe in magic?
1: Good cards. I like good cards tribal.
2: That's you me. You like playing Jund, Abzan. Your favorite decks. Yeah, I'm just not a tribal card person. I would say it's probably spirits if i had to pick (laughs) no spirits if i had to pick a tribal deck that would be my favorite but shane is it humans
1: i mean it's humans i do i mean i do think slivers are really cool like I, i also like the weird thing about how they changed how slivers look in m14 like they changed the art direction like pretty severely and people seem to really hate it and I, yeah. I love like looking back at like, like, you know, there, there wasn't as much spilled ink about magic in you know that era, but you can find some old articles, uh, on the internets about it. And it's like, it's just, there's some good vitriol. There's like just some good yelling. And it's just, I think it's great. Like, it's just like, why'd they make slivers look like this? And it's, it's quality, quality content. Well, they looked
2: like cool aliens and Tempest. Yeah, it looks like weird humans, right? And then right? they made them into the predator. Mm-hmm. In in that satin. That that was annoying. They were really strange looking. Stan?
0: I feel like you guys could probably answer this for me.
2: Gets elves. elves. And wizards. wizards.
0: Those are the two that I had written down. I like elves a lot. I like wizards a lot. Judge Jack asks, What's your favorite mechanic
2: in magic? Anything that makes something cheaper, free. Is for me. <laughs> Cost reduction mechanics. That's mm. where I'm at. Phyrexian mana, light up uh spectacle, those are the type of things that I like.
0: Mine is similar because I I really like CMC replacement effects. So something that's like this costs five extra mana unless you do such and such, or in addition to paying this, sack a creature. Yeah, etc. Yeah. I, I find Village Rights. Exactly. Village Rights is a perfect example. I, I love the potential like high risk, high reward of things like that.
1: The force high synergy.
0: Yeah, I I think the force cycle kind of plays into that as well, where it's like you're going down on cards for this very powerful effect and it can be huge or it can be a potential liability down the line.
1: I love the flavor weirdness of crew, like crewing vehicles, where it's like, (laughs) Yeah, my my dog's gonna go fly this hovercraft now. (laughs) Or it's like, well, it's like my my dog's gonna go fly this hovercraft, but then it's gonna jump out. (laughs) It's like (laughs) Like, it's just, I just love, I love, like, just thinking about it actually happening. It's like, oh, like this, my snake, my snakes in the
2: the roadster, <laughs> like driving the train. Uh, this renegade freighter is captained by a gremlin.
1: <laughs> I think, but I also think crew did lend itself to, like, some interesting options in gameplay as well, which I think is cool. Um, I also really like Bestow in terms of, like, gameplay. Like, Bestow was never really too good, or even, or even very good, really, but it lent itself to options, and I think options are cool. Yeah. I also just, Boon Sater is one of my favorite cards of all time, because it's just like, it was like so on the bubble of like, okay, and you always have the fallback option of just casting it.
0: Lorenzo asks, what's your favorite deck ever?
2: Stan. Oh, yeah, Stan. Please take this one first.
0: You know it, right? It's modern, is it Phoenix? It was like I had arrived when that deck came out and I miss it. I miss it so much. And I know the reason I miss it so much is because I know it probably will never, ever be good in modern again. Yeah. And and the Phoenix one, it just it hits different and it's not as good. Or I'm sorry, the Pioneer version hits different and not as well
2: i'm i'm excited to see how much it would take to make the historic version and see if that's good but i don't know i kind of agree with you it's never it's never going to find the same home
0: because we're just never getting careful study like there's right. there's no universe where they're going to print careful study into modern yeah
2: nor should they shane i mean on the
1: topic of boon Seder, uh i mean i've talked about this deck a plenty of times red green monsters of con standard, you know, and a little bit after era, it's just like an honest deck does what it says it's going to do. And asks you to stop what it's trying to do. And like, I always like asking questions more than trying to answer other people's. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to complain about a little like red reach to finish the job. Like I'm never going to complain about lightning strikes or like a crater's claws with the ferocious trigger. to like, just burn somebody out. Like it's just, it's, it's
2: fun. Uh, my favorite deck ever would be the deck that I will always think is the coolest deck is the Prosperity Bloom deck from Pro Tour Paris, 1997. It was basically the first combo deck that actually worked in Magic the Gathering. And and what you did was uh, you used a really expensive enchantment called Cadaverous Bloom that let you discard cards from your hand to make two black or two green mana, which is an absurd mechanic when you really think about it. Uh, There was also a card in this deck called squandered resources that lets you sack a land to add a mana of any color that that land could produce to your mana pool, which is also an absurd mechanic considering that that squandered resources cast cost two mana to cast. And what you would do is basically uh, get your hand up, get your mana card out, discard cards to make a bunch of mana, cast a card called prosperity that made all players draw X cards Then So you would draw like 13, then you would discard 13 cards to make another 26 black mana, and then you would hit somebody with a giant drain life after you finish drawing through your whole deck. It was a beautiful deck and um, very defining of the non-interactive combo genre. But what's really my favorite deck to play right now, honestly, if you haven't noticed from my answers about all the types of cards I like, it's probably Prowess. It's still Prowess. Uh, I've enjoyed that the last year i think it's still good still fun uh when i'm not playing that deck i'm wondering if i can fit in some time to play the deck so prowess Odins asks
0: what's your favorite card to imprint onto isochron scepter
1: so how many times have you done this dan
0: it's been years and years and years this is what i was doing when i like first got back into magic in 2015 or something
2: I've done it in Cube like one time. Yeah, Cube. I do, I've done it in Cube. I think.
1: I th- actually think. You know what I did is I did it in my Shu uh, Yun, the Silent Tempest, or whatever. Uh, tiny leaders. Are you about to Tiny, go, leaders tiny leaders? deck. My tiny leaders deck. I had an Isochron Scepter, and I believe I imprinted Lightning Helix on it. So that mm. is my my favorite card to imprint on Isochron Scepter is Lightning Helix.
0: I prefer to imprint band cards like Time Walk and Ancestral Recall, <laughs> but I guess Counterspell is also okay.
1: Yeah. I'm just I am mean, g- the classic one is what, Silence or something like that, where you just like make your opponent unable to do anything
2: over and over again. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to go with Stan's answers.
0: <laughs> Grant asks, what's your favorite flavor text?
2: I love this question. By the way, this is such a weird random question. <laughs> I thought it was fun.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's, it's hard to be put on the spot though. Cause you're like, oh, I remember some funny flavor text or some cool flavor text or something like that. And you're like, well, what were they?
0: There's only one that actually sticks with me and it's Raging Goblin.
2: He raged and then he raged like, what is it again? It's like
0: he raged for his family. He raged for his friends, but most of all he raged.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It sounds like like Andrew WK or yeah. something. Shane, what do you have? Okay. Drana,
1: liberator of Moloch Here, I will not live as a slave. If you would be free, then fight alongside me. Wow. Okay. That's it. That's it. Take,
2: take, take of that what you will. So I, I have some, a few things about flavor text. One thing that I think is hilarious about flavor text is not so much specific ones, but like the archetypes of flavor text so just think of all the different counter spells that basically are just like sassy yeah. ways of people yeah, saying so many you burnt, mm. you burnt, you burnt. <laughs> and then the actual burn cards that also just say you burnt on them, I think is really funny is like different <laughs> archetypes of text. Uh, so I always like to see what one of those they fit into a new set. But my favorite flavor text of all time, when I was thinking about it, the one that stood out to me was actually the flavor text on wall of ice. From, from Revised, which is really weird because if there was no flavor text on Wall of Ice, there would be no text on Wall of Ice in Revised because Defender did not exist as an ability. And so it just is a two colorless, one green, 07 summon wall. That needs no rule text according to the original rules of the game. Because walls could not attack in the original rules of the game. There wasn't an ability for Defender. So they had to figure out something to do with the big empty text box <laughs> on a magic card. So they put a verse of Samuel Coleridge, the Rime of the Ancient Mariner, on it that says, And through the drifts, the snowy cliffs did send a dismal sheen. Nor shapes of men nor beasts we can. The ice was all between. And I remember opening this card when I was a kid and just being like, This game is for me. (laughs) (laughs) When I would open that pack and
0: look at that card as a kid, I'd be like, what? (laughs) Exactly. I have a a curveball question um, because we're running a little low on time. I wanted to ask this question of you guys. It's a topic we don't talk about often. uh, And I think it might be an interesting minute or two. How good do you guys
1: want to get at magic? Hmm. Huh. Uh, huh, I, I, in in the world of paper magic that hopefully comes back one day, I would like to be a little bit better than I am. Uh, but I think that's what everyone would always say at all times. I think that maybe maybe some people would say I want to be a lot better than I am, but um, I want to be a little bit better. and then, you know, six months from then, I'd like to be a little bit better uh, as well. But Stan, when you ask that question, maybe think about like, how am I playing right now? in order to be, to get better. And I'm not really, I'm playing in a way to expose myself to as many new decks as I can and learn about a bunch of new things or try to get back into magic arena and look at historic or something like that. And I'm not playing in a way that's like, I'm going to get better. So like, I think it's like, I'm comfortable where I am right now, which is like a magic fan and a magic, you know, player and more of a commentator on the game than someone who's like has aspirations, especially as aspirations have become a bit nerfed in the
2: contemporary way that uh, the competitive environment is designed. I'm going to give my answer quickly. Cause I'm more interested in your answer, Stan. Uh, I, I think that I have a real ceiling on where I'm at right now, just because of the amount of time that I can devote to playing. And also honestly, just getting like slower and older and more tired with my ability to focus and stuff. I find myself making a lot more mental mistakes than I feel like I did maybe two or one, two, three years ago when I'm playing on magic. And I, I think it's a focus problem more than it is something related to magic. Like it's some of it's like technical practice. I'd like to get better where I don't feel like I make those kind of mistakes anymore. But I think that, you know, a couple of times when I set Goals, soft goals for myself. I kind of met them. Like I made a Grand Prix Day Two. I really wanted to make the the Day Two that I did, and I did. I wanted to make a you know top eight of a competitive rel tournament, and I've done that too. In in um, you know like a PTQ and limited. And so when it comes to playing. Modern I really just want to enjoy the format I want to try to learn as much as possible kind of like what Shane was talking about I'm much more focused on just like experiencing it right now and also enjoying the community and trying to bring in continue to try to deliver on what I think is our intention to bring a different perspective to the casual commentator role and I that's the part that I'm the most interested in trying to keep pushing right now and Playing is part of that, of course. But I, I, like Shane, I don't have aspirations to like, you know, pro tour or whatever. Like I would be thrilled to get a 5-0. Like that's that's where I'm at these days.
0: Yeah. my So Shane, the thing you you said that actually I think resonates with me a lot is what am I doing to get to the level that I want? Because I'm kind of in the same camp as you guys, obviously, where I'm not acting on my aspirations. So they're not necessarily goals. They're kind of just like, I wish I could reach this goal passively without really trying, but all meaningful goals take some effort. So, I mean, my aspiration, I would just love to be good enough that I can build an MTG Goldfish resume and just like be like an aspiring Spike or a Claudio, where you go like five pages deep over the course mm-hmm. of several years and it's, it's a lot like. Of play at all the decks right but like i'm not playing a league a day and maybe i could and i think we know that like if you really want to build a resume you got to play multiple leagues a day you kind of have to be willing to run it back and i'm just not doing that because where i'm at now in terms of goal setting is i'm just trying to be good enough at magic that i can be a good podcaster and content producer which is a place i'm very happy at right now maybe it's not meeting all of my aspirations as a player and a competitor but it's definitely scratching the itch i had as a as an artist and content creator
2: yeah i mean i think that we're probably all better at podcasting than we'll ever be at playing magic (laughs) (laughs) i'll take that i'm happy with that you know all right we took sufficient time
0: talking about ourselves we're gonna do a quick lightning round slam answers to the last handful of questions this time we're really trying to hit all the questions that we got we had to skip like just a few But now we're going to give you one word responses. Jason asks, what's your favorite play, Matt?
2: Ours. (laughs) I think it's really cool. Good work, Dave. Thanks. My favorite one, strangely, is the one of my own face that I have (laughs) that I like to take to tournaments.
0: I have a signed John Avon Forest that I now use as like my big mouse pad. But it was the first Kickstarter I ever kickstarted. Sweet. Nice. Sam asks, what's your favorite way to win a game?
2: Uh, mine is a flurry of red spells and prowess triggers that ends with exact seas. love it when somebody doesn't think they're going to die on turn three and then you get them to exactly zero
1: <laughs> i like setting up huge conflagrates that people must not have noticed for some reason like maybe they left the conflagrate in there or they, they put themselves in a position to lose off the conflagrate like sometimes you can like do some crazy setups to fill your hand finish them off it's sweet
0: i love a bolt snap bolt i love a splinter twin or cat combo and recently, I've really liked troning people out when they don't concede to just you having Tron.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, maybe they answer your Karn, and then you just have to keep going. Ian asks, what's your favorite deck name?
1: Tin Fins. I don't even know why it's called that, but it rhymes. Uh, there you go. I also think, I think it's a reference to, like, some Adult Swim cartoon.
2: I think it's a C-Lab 2020. Yeah,
1: C-Lab 2021 thing. Mm-hmm
2: dave did you say yours uh mine is just the deck because it's so definitive and it's just like a big middle finger to everyone else it's just the deck (laughs) what what deck are you playing it's the deck doesn't describe anything about what it does or it's just the deck
0: i've never played this deck but i love the name and it's turbo fog always always made me chuckle (laughs) it's
1: like turbo teen
0: yeah kyle asks what's your favorite mtg slang or meme or nickname
2: mine is top deck Mm, like you top decked that, uh, that ham sandwich yeah. that you forgot about in the back of the fridge. Yeah. I think it's totally applicable. I, I think about it to myself when I'm trying to work out how to get out of a situation or figure out what needs to happen. I'm like, well, I have to top deck this to work it out. And
1: yeah, what are your outs? Yep. Tilt. Tilt's the one I use the most in life because I tilt often. Uh, I also, I also like the, the semi meme of doing storm counts when you're no one's playing storm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just think that's always funny. Like it's it's like it's so stupid, but I think it's so funny. Uh,
0: I think when people refer to sample size with regard to magic, that really makes me laugh. Even though it's perfectly apt, I just I just love the seriousness of math and statistics with regard to magic data. Um, but as far as nicknames go, the Godfather
2: I think is the best magic nickname out there. Agreed. Well, I, yeah. What's that one? It's why, you. But I mean, why why is that me? I don't know. You kind of look like a
0: Godfather. You are a father. Yeah. You've got this holier than thou attitude. <laughs> Blue Cheese asks, what's your favorite piece of magic art or
1: artist? Stan, do you have one?
0: Yeah. I've always really liked Merc Dwellers by Drew Tucker. I like the watercolor stylings of that one. Um, and it's an old card. I love that the old versions are like summon murk Dwellers and now it's just like creature zombie. And they don't look like zombies. They, they're they just like a weird water, postmodern watercolor.
1: It's weird. I mean, there's a lot of good magic art. There's a lot of meh magic art. I, I couldn't pick something that like just sticks in my brain as like my favorite art. But I mean there's I mean, I think we just should just take a second to appreciate how much sick art has gone on magic arts over the past years of you know, twenty five plus years. And I do like how high res they are on like magic arena now
2: you can see stuff really clearly and appreciate it even a little bit more yeah absolutely i mean for me the most iconic piece in my memory is just uh shiv and dragon by i think melissa benson right the revised shiv and dragon looks kind of like a pokemon
0: yeah it's very cartoony
2: yeah it's just like the card that i wanted when i was a kid and uh never got them kept getting those darned dual lands instead grat
0: those are no fun final question judge jack what's your favorite color shifted card
1: is there any choice but damnation such a cool card. Gets the job done. Does
2: Mana Tithe count? Oh, yeah. 100%. The White Force Spike. Uh, mine is Prodigal Pyromancer. Because, like, why wasn't this card always red? Why was that card ever blue? I, I don't get it. What about Serendib Befrit? The not actually color-shifted, but color-shifted in, in in card only. Border-shifted? That was a good... <laughs> yeah, that was a fun thing for sure. I also thought Sarah Sphinx was interesting from Planar Cast. It's like, why does this card exist? Like... We, they made just a blue Sarah Angel. It's very, very funny,
0: Dave. I feel like your first example was wasn't as much color shifted as as it was color corrected. Yes, it's a little post post editing humor for all our Adobe Suite subscribers.
2: Oh, you know me. I know what that means. Color corrections. You bet. Remember how I thought this episode was going to go short? By the way, <laughs> yeah, they never do. <laughs> I never told you what else.
0: All right, we're going to take a very quick break, and then we're going to do a very, very, very quick wind down.
2: Yeah, we have to give details about this live stream. We'll be right back.
0: All right, we're back. We've been hinting about it for a couple weeks now, uh, and, and I guess this wasn't a hint. Saturday, November 14th in the evening... At an undisclosed time, we're going to be streaming a live recording of episode 100. It'll be at twitch.tv thedivedownshane underscore Shane. So if you're hearing this on Friday, the day the episode comes out, tomorrow, we're going to be on Twitch coming out. We're doing a charity stream.
1: Yes, we will be supporting almost certainly uh, Feeding America which is a uh, charity that seeks to feed people in the United States of America. And we know uh, this year and before that, and certainly after uh, the coronavirus is a thing, uh, people will sadly always need food in this country. And we donated to them uh, earlier this year, and we're happy to do it again uh, at this point in the year.
0: So if you tune into the stream, you will find a way to join us in contributing to this wonderful organization. And finally... You know, I think people might expect that a Q&A with the fans would go into episode 100 for this milestone moment, but we have a very ambitious plan for episode 100. Wouldn't be any time to do a Q&A? It's one of the reasons why we did it today. And the topic for episode 100, we're talking about 100 decks.
1: And I would walk 100 miles to talk about 100 decks.
0: I don't know if I want to reveal... How we're how we're going to broach this topic? I don't think we know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should probably figure that one out before we record. At least come up with a list of 100 decks. Are there even 100 decks? Well, tune in on Saturday or next Friday when the audio version comes out to find out.
2: Yeah. And so keep in mind, Saturday, this Saturday, the day after this podcast comes out, the live stream will be starting at let's just say 7 30 central. Sure. What do you think?
1: Give or take. Yeah, we, we can, we, yeah, you know, we'll fudge it either way. We'll either be on shooting the breeze. We'll be there.
2: Yeah. So if you want to come and be part of a live taping of the dive down, cause we will try to do it like our regular, regular episode where we'll interact with fans a little bit, but we'll be trying to record. Um, that's the thought. That's it. That's the, that's the
0: tweet. All right. That wraps up this week's show. Thanks again to the Dive Down Nation for submitting so many great questions and making this a really fun episode. This was a a good recording. If this is your first time listening to The Dive Down and you've made it this far, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, pick our brain on something in modern, pioneer, or magic, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the Dive Down. Join the super secret Slack channel, participate in our paper modern FNMs, hang out with us. It's a fun escape from the sick, sad world. Also, shout out to manitraders.com for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Manitraders using promo code Down, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online Cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and watch us scream!